3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. It is, oh, it is Thursday, the 13th of October. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, start off with such a, such a sad little tone, but, uh, yeah, we are heading towards the end of the year. I hope people have, uh, recovered from that. Well, I at least had, uh, AEST to AEDT jet lag last week, um, but I hope that people have bounced back from that. How are you going, Nez? I am tired as always. Love you it. know, every day I'm working nonstop, seven days a week, but you know what? you got to fulfill your dreams somehow. Exactly, uh, and you also have to run yourself into the ground yeah. as quickly as possible. Um, I think... My know, dreams are burnt out, that's why. Exactly. <laughs> you know, same. Absolutely same. But I do love that radio is a little nice little space away from mm. all of the work. It feels it always feels like a joy to come in to 3CR. And, um, you know, now that I've turned riding my bike into a little treat, one thing about me is I'm going to be riding. So uh, please, uh, if you pray, pray for me uh, to get home. I have been religiously checking the weather forecast all week. And I've been angry since Monday about the possibility that I couldn't ride today. But I did. Um, look, so I will say, uh, please keep an eye on the Bureau of Meteorology. Uh, there are severe weather warnings, um, for the Melbourne region, but also, um, from the, for the Northern, um, I think it's like, I, I mean, I guess like the front is going to be hitting the whole state. Yep. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out for that. It looks like, um, very heavy rainfall is expected for later this evening. And so, yeah, I would head to the Bureau of Meteorology where they've got warnings about, um, how you should prepare where you are. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see some good government response as well to make sure that folks aren't left stranded. Um, but maybe we'll jump into what we've got on for this week. So. First up, we're going to be joined by Dr. Dale Tweedy and David Wild of Macquarie University, who are going to be speaking with us about the sinister growth of bossware or workplace surveillance technologies, which allow your manager to keep tabs on what you're up to on the computer. And they'll be speaking with us about the rationale behind its development and application and how bossware impacts worker performance. I can't wait for that because that is really important, especially right now. Yeah. Um, then we'll be joined by Miss Cairo, who is a cabaret and burlesque superstar who was conceived in Egypt, born in the UK, and blossomed a Wurundjeri country. Her career has taken her around the world and exploring many fields like burlesque, live vocals, comedy and activism to smash stereotypes while entertaining the masses. And she joins us today to speak about her fantastic cabaret show for the Fringe Fest called Breast Become Her. There might even be a special uh, giveaway, so let's tune in for that. Um, and then after that, we're joined by Narita Wright, who is a proud Yoda Yoda woman with connections to the Naranjari and the Tungurung people, and the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. 
She joins us today to speak on a joint letter from VALS, the Police Accountability Project, community legal centres and Aboriginal organisations that are calling on Daniel Andrews to overhaul the state's failed police oversight system by introducing a police ombudsman. And finally, we're going to be joined by Dr. Michelle Blewett, who's the Program Director of OSMAP, or the Australian Microplastic Assessment Project. And Michelle joins us today to talk about mapping levels of microplastic pollution in Australia's aquatic environments with the help of citizen scientists and the importance of this work as part of finding solutions to address the growing problem of plastic pollution in our waterways. So that was a very interesting interview to research for as well, because I feel Mm. like I've heard the word microplastic floating around you'll pardon the pun, um, for, for, for a while. But I didn't actually realize that what they're looking for are these tiny little, you know, visible pieces of plastic and mapping their density. So it's, it's really, really exciting, really interesting. And hopefully you tune in for that at around 8.15 because I believe that Michelle is also going to tell us a bit about how you can contribute and get involved in that project as well. So... As usual, massive show. Hopefully we'll get some tunes in there as well. But you're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. Hi, my name's Bundalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday, the 10th of November at Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Daddy Munmaro, 6 to 8pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM and these are the news headlines for Thursday the 13th of October. Iranian security forces aggressive crackdown on protesters continues this week with 28 journalists reportedly in custody and at least 185 people killed since the protests began in late September. Protests were initially ignited over the death of Masa Amini while in the custody of Iran's morality police. The journalist Nilofar Hamedi, who first reported on the death in custody, has reportedly been in solitary confinement for almost a month, despite not being charged. The Committee to Protect Journalists called on Iranian authorities to immediately and unconditionally release all journalists arrested because of their coverage of Masa Amini's death and the protests that followed. Recent social media videos show tanks being transported to Kurdish areas, which have been a focal focal point of the security forces' crackdowns. Also in news headlines, the Disability Royal Commission hearings this week are focused on the abuse of people with disabilities in public places. Witnesses have described incidents of harassment, verbal abuse, physical assault, and threatening behaviour in settings such as public transport, on the street, and online platforms. 
The purpose of the hearing is to identify what is known about the prevalence of violence and abuse against people with disabilities in public spaces and consider avenues for better reporting and response of these services. The council assisting the hearing said evidence shows that violence and abuse towards people with disabilities are systemic in public culture and attitudes and that these factors, rather than physical obstacles, are some of the most significant barriers people with disability or disabled people face in accessing communities equally. And finally, in headlines, and just a warning to First Nations listeners that this headline does contain mention of a First Nations person who has died in custody. The coronial inquest into the killing of Kumanjai Walker at the hands of a Northern Territory police officer continues this week with revelations that health staff were used as decoys by police on the night of the shooting. The inquest heard that nursing staff were evacuated from the area earlier that day, but two nurses were urgently called to the community to attend to Mr. Walker, who had passed away by the time they got there. A nurse who travelled to Yundamu after Mr. Walker was fatally shot says she remains traumatised by the night's events and was concerned that there were not enough health staff in the region at the time. Other nursing staff reportedly felt that evacuating the area, which is home to more than 800 people, many of whom are elderly and suffer from serious chronic diseases, went against everything they had learned as health workers. These have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 13th of October, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Now, listeners might already have heard about this, uh, but there will be a rally tomorrow that's going to be held by Homes Not Prisons, so I'll chuck on a bit of information about that now. In the lead-up to the state election, join the Homes Not Prisons campaign for street theatre, speeches from people with a lived experience of criminalisation and a rally demanding investment in Aboriginal community-controlled public housing for criminalised women and their families. 4pm on Friday 14th of October at Parliament Steps in Nam, Melbourne. Keep the pressure on. Fund communities, not prisons and police. Friday 14 October, 4pm, Parliament Steps. Homes, not prisons, is a 3CR supporter. We're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we're going to head into a track now. This one is Hoodie Girl by June Jones.
just become a hoodie girl. I'll live my life like I'm a hoodie girl. Being a hoodie girl is beautiful to me. I'll live my life like I'm a hoodie girl. I want to feel good. Hoodie Girl by June Jones, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. It is Thursday, the 13th of October, and it is 7.14 in the morning. Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music, and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning, and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music, and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open, and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs, and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR support. And we might also head into another track. Uh, I always love when we get to be little DJs um, in, in the station. That show that Inez and I did um, a couple weeks ago where we just played a ton of music was awesome. I think the Queen should die more often. Um, so we're going to head into another track. This is Guap Pop by Agung Mango and Genesis Ousu. Normally late, 
I've been making cake and then out daily. Then could I wait? Man, I'm not crazy. Dead broke, good make up. We fed this if it's every day. Bread slow, no cash flow. Definite that you can make more this year. More this year. I was in a sweatshop, on lock. The Mickey Wap Pop, non stop. It's hard to stay with it. It's hard to change with it. Now I'm in the hilltop, new heights. Look at the new bright light, all night. It's hard to stay with it. No it's worth winning. Everybody wanna know, but I gotta know, but I gotta know if you gonna make money. Let me go, don't get in more, but I gotta go, cause I need to know if I'm gonna get love. I'm up here, shoot to the mute. Yeah. Medical used to fuse it, oh, I'm loose. Yeah. Then they gon' say I'm stupid cause I'm mute. Yeah. Then they gon' flip this bitch, I'm into mood. To a different rhythm, shitting out juice. They used to have my wallet smitten. Dig the meaning of these vows, bro. Don't get my tongue twisted. Used to wanna rap like Doom till they put a check in my face. Now I check in the states, might check in the place. Cause their motives only coincide with rents bigger. You want this money, you don't want my two cents, nigga. Dense, nigga. Got me focused on some fucking streams. When I got potential of a young black Socrates. Back in English, yo, my papers getting only C's. Little do my teacher know my English take me overseas. Shift the artistry and one day you can bask in yeah. But look at what these fuckers did to Basquiat See potential, then they set their sights to kill So I got holes inside my mental that a coin will never fail I was in a sweatshop, on lock Had to make the guap pop, non-stop It's hard to stay with it It's hard to change with it Now I'm in the hilltop, new heights Like I got these bright lights all night It's hard to stay with it Dunbar Law's legendary trivia night returns Friday the 21st of October at Collingwood Town Hall. Expect an evening of sparkling wit, cunning competition, and of course, the glorious glory of sweet, sweet victory. Will it be yours? You'll have to come along to find out. Is this your first year? Welcome. You might just be the best among us, but you'll have to strut your stuff to prove it. Let's get together to raise much-needed funds for the incredible 3CR Community Radio. 3CR is 100% community-controlled and relies on annual fundraising to keep its amazing local content on air. Book individually or register a team of up to 10 people for Dunbar Law's Trivia Night. Tickets available online. Follow the links from the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. You've just heard 
Guapap by Ango Mango. And now we are going to Flick by Pookie. said what? I said nothing. Something was in your head. By touching it, I think I spread it everywhere. Flick, you said what? I said love. It's you that my cranium is full of. That afro, your cranium is full of. I want to see it every time I pull up. Flick, you said what? I said snack. That's what you're looking like. There's nothing that you lack. Brighter than moonlight. Promise a womb bite. Morning, noon, night. Whenever the time's right. I'll tickle your eyesight. Renew your appetite. You know I got a rose head. The one that you want to grip. Want to put your lips on. Get some from Krypton. Make it easy. Not just my physique. But everything that I seek. It's everything you seek. But enough about me. I know you got the key.
Robbie Bundalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday, the 10th of November, at Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach, and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 6 to 8 pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yenna Fossaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the can country? people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And it is 7.27 in the morning, and we just heard the song, well, not just, you heard a couple of little community service announcements, but uh, just before that, you heard Flick by Pookie. And now we are joined by Dr. Dale Tweedy and David Wilde of Macquarie University to talk about the sinister growth of bossware or workplace surveillance technologies, which allow your manager to keep tabs on what you're up to on the computer. And they'll speak with us about the rationale behind its development and application and how Bossware impacts worker performance. Good morning, Dale, and good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, so perhaps we could start off by hearing a little bit about what Bossware is and about the rationale behind its use, and then maybe a bit of the history of workplace surveillance technology development. Dale, I'll go to you first. Sure. So uh, essentially, Bossware technology is um, surveillance um, tools that can be loaded onto your computer or computer network, and um, they can really track a you know fairly dizzying array of data. So they can track uh, keystrokes, uh, how often you move your mouse, uh, your search queries, what websites you visit. Um, they can also view and record video from your webcam or your computer, and and one of these programs boasts it can record every second of an employee's screen activity. 
Um, I think the second and the, and the and the you know particularly concerning feature of this technology as well is that it then translates all this data into a productivity score that allows uh, workers to be ranked against each other. So it's not just measuring data, um, but it's also trying to create really a kind of real-time competition uh, in the workplace. Mm. Uh, now, these technologies have been around for some time. Um, so in, in white-collar work, for example, we've seen um, you know, quite similar technologies used in, in call centres in particular for 20 or 30 years or more. Um, what's really different now is the growth of these technologies into a whole range of other um, white-collar work in particular um, that once would have been exempt. So what we saw during the pandemic is at exactly the t- same time, a large number of workers uh, started working from home. Uh, there was this you know, sudden concern amongst um, you know, managers that workers would be slacking off, um, and we saw this spike in the sales of this technology. So, um, you know, in a sense, the, the pandemic kind of put a rocket under the use of these technologies uh, and made it much more widespread, um, uh, even though the, the capacity to do this has been around for a while. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, my, my co-host and I are sitting here horrified because it is just so, um, just so incredibly invasive, these kinds of technologies. And I think something that we've, we've also seen though over, uh, uh, across the, the pandemic is that since people have been working from home, we've actually seen people, um, you know, th- those boundaries between uh, work and leisure kind of break down a bit more. So it is, it is the case that people are, are working a lot more as well. Um, and uh, David, did you want to did you want to jump in on that? Just want to add one more thing to what Dale said there. I mean, these surveillance software they're pretty flexible. They're depending on which product you choose, which product the employer chooses. They can be relatively open with the the user or the worker knowing what's being collected and how it's going to be used. To fully clandestine systems where the worker has no idea that they're actually being tracked and no idea what, um, and as a consequence, no idea what that data will be used to. Mm. So that's, uh, that's pretty insidious development, to be fair. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think, uh, David, I might also ask you to, to answer this question as well or start off with answering this question, but I'm, I'm thinking about what kinds of industries tend to use this kind of surveillance technology because Dale did mention initially it was more looking at particular kinds of white-collar work, but I'm wondering how it's become sort of more generally normalized across industries where um, workers are regularly interfacing with computers or smart devices because, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners will be familiar with the kind of granular surveillance at Amazon warehouses, for example, um, but I'm also interested to see uh, where else you've seen these tools being used. So at this point, <clears throat> the research hasn't really differentiated between industries employing monitoring software. Um, from the research that has the research that has been done in the US, around 60% of medium to large companies are utilising workplace software, and this number is expected to grow even in the context of the return to work. Um, fair to say that companies co- these, these companies cover all kinds of industries, including the professions, such as medicine, law, accounting and academia. Mm. And um, in, that, in, in the insofar as the majority of people interface with computers every day that they're working, it, it's become effectively fully normalised that these sorts of technologies are uh, going to be in workplaces from here on in. Yeah. Uh, Dale, did you want to add anything there? 
Yeah, look, I think it's also useful to you know, see this time technology on a you know, on a continuum or a scale. So, you know, at one level, there's these um, there's a technology that's deliberately designed to track workers and companies and, and programs like Work Tracker and uh, uh, you know Workplace Cop and all these kinds of technologies. But also, I think the other issue is that we're seeing this technology integrated into other systems that are more mainstream. So um, things like uh, Office 365 at a very simple level, if you're using Office 365 and there's that little you know, red dot, orange dot, or a green dot um, associated with your profile that indicates you know, whether you're active or not, and part of the way that's determined is by mouse tracking um, systems. So I think there's, you know, there's one set of concerns around this targeted technology, but there's another concern about, as David was saying, this kind of normalizing of various forms of um, you know, workplace monitoring into you know, systems that we use every day. Yeah, and I think, you know, across uh, some of the interviews that we've done with uh, Digital Rights Watch and Electronic Frontiers Australia, there's been this broader normalization of greater surveillance when it comes to things like, for example, uh, data collection and privacy uh, and erosion of protections there, facial recognition technology. So this seems like it really does fit on a continuum of a sort of broader, um, you know, kind of surveillance regime. Um, so... Uh, Dale, I'm also wondering um, about the companies that are profiting from development management surveillance tools and the kind of market that this tech development feeds into. Um, do you know some of the major players in this field? And have you seen, uh, as you've mentioned, there's been an increase uh, over the pandemic. But um, I was wondering if you could speak to that in a little bit more detail. Uh, yeah, look, um, I mean, I think that on one hand, there's lots of new startup organizations that are really you know, pushing the envelope. And uh, again, if you just have a look around on the on you know these companies advertising online, um, I think they're fa- fairly deliberately set out to be quite kind of provocative with what they're offering. So some of these are advertising you know, the fact that they, as David was saying earlier, that, that technologies can be used without um, you know without employees being aware. Um, you know, but then again, you have this this extension of um, these technologies into kind of mainstream companies, and, and there's a uh, issue you may be aware of with uh, I think Microsoft in 2020 uh, when it started upping the ante on the on the data that um, that Office 365 programs uh, capture, and really getting into this type of um, this type of surveillance, and uh, it kind of created a, a furor at the time. But I think this is how um, how the technology developed. You know, you have these new startup tech companies that really push the envelope, uh, and then in pushing the envelope, that allows you know bigger companies. Um, you know, like your Microsoft and, and other companies to then integrate this technology into more mainstream systems. Mm. And, um, David, did you want to add on to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, some of the companies like ActiveTrack, HubStaff and Interguard, Time, Do- Time Doctor, they were the sort of first, uh, first mover in the market. Um, but Microsoft's move in 2020 to develop um, productivity store is, is an enormous um, change. They're, they, um, in that technology, they, they're able to, to, to um, track 70 unique sources of data about worker behaviour. And they leave it up to the employer to decide how to utilise that data. In the, same, in the same breath, Microsoft went out in their marketing material and argued that Productivity Score wasn't a monitoring software. And they, they make the argument that it was about discovering new ways of working. And yet there's nothing stopping employers from using individual level data in their evaluation or promotion decisions or as a pretext to fire or discipline employees. So while 
it, it's arguable that productivity score doesn't utilise surveillance techniques such as intermittent screenshots or recording videos. Its adoption of employee monitoring is a, is a game changer. In simple terms, Microsoft 365 has well in excess of a million companies as customers that now have access to this kind of monitoring technology. Yeah, and uh, I can definitely think of jobs that I've had where I've been required to use Microsoft Office, and uh, it makes it, it is just um, it is one of those things that I think because it is so insidious, people might not realize that something you know as um, where they're engaging with with an email service provider as part of their work. Um, they might not think necessarily that that's the way that they might be tracked. They might be thinking of uh, engaging with work, workplace-specific technologies or, or software. Um, so I guess this comes to the big question. Do these workplace surveillance technologies actually improve worker productivity? And in the instances where they actually do have some sort of positive effect on the profit margin of employers, what kind of issues do they stand to create in terms of worsening workplace conditions for employees? Um, either of you jump in. Yeah, look, um, I think it depends what you mean by productivity. So I think where, you know, if you look at where research has been done on this in the past in, in say, call center work, where it's been studied for a long time, so we have a pretty good understanding of the effects, it can increase production if by production you mean the numbers of goods or services per hour. So something like the number of calls a, a worker handles. Mm-hmm. You know, if you monitor that time, as they do in call centers very intensively, and then you, you kind of um, pressure people to get that time number down, then, of course, you know, workers take more number of more calls per hour. Per hour, um, but that um, pressure of getting people off the phone faster has obvious costs for the quality of the user service. And I think that's the general issue with this technology. It's very good at tracking quantitative measures of the numbers of something that you produce, or the amount of time it takes you to do um, a task. What it's not good at doing is tracking the quality of that task. Mm. So um, what you get is you get more numbers of, um, of uh, services that are not so good. So I was involved in another study looking at school cleaners uh, where they were tracked to do three minutes of time per work, uh, sorry, three minutes of time per room. And, of course, you can't clean a room in three minutes. So if you enforce that, um, you know, you get rooms that aren't clean. Mm. Uh, I guess the related point is that, um, you know, when you intensively monitor work, you just create a lot of stress. And, uh, and drilling down to that a little bit further, I mean, the, the effect of this type of technology um, depends very much on the purpose that workers perceive the technology is serving. So, um, you know, when, when the surveillance is, um, or when workplace monitoring is, is sort of perceived as genuinely aimed at developing people's skills and abilities, then people respond quite positively. But where it's the most harmful uh, and when it causes the highest stress is when it's aimed at kind of surveillance and control and kind of a disciplinary function, um, you know, rather than at developing skills. And I think if we look at Bossware technology, the concern, and certainly in my view, is that it's motivated much more by a tight control of kind of quantity, a, a concern about you know, workers slacking off and the like, um, and, uh, and, and kind of therefore falls in the category of the, of the um, type of surveillance that's going to be genuinely harmful. Yeah, and I think it really does kind of... Um you know, it mirrors this kind of broader crackdown um, and worsening of of labor conditions. And, you know, I think it's something that really needs to be 
resisted and fought against. And in, in that vein, um, David, I'm wondering what kind of legislative protections Australian workers have in relation to these kinds of technologies or whether there are particular changes you'd like to see in our regulatory environment in relation to busware. I mean, in simple terms, um, we don't actually possess any um, particular rights in relation to the use of these technologies. Um, in effect, uh, employees are entitled to um, contract workers in um, with an understanding that these technologies can be used. Um, I think in, in the Australian context, while employers could use the more clandestine type, I'd imagine that the pushback in the discovery would be significant. Um, all of these things are up for grabs, so to speak, in, in relation to um, workers organising themselves and attempting to resist the develop- these kinds of developments. But that kind of resistance is also under incredible pressure given the condition of the union movement across almost all industries. Um, so really, in, in some sense, workers are sitting dark in terms of being required to use these kind of technologies. Um, Dale, would you have anything to add to that? Yeah, look, I think, um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd qualify that, um, that neither of us are kind of lawyers here, obviously, so we're not offering legal advice in this area. But, but, but I think, I mean, what, what we see currently, as David was alluding to there, is that we, there's really a kind of a patchwork of federal and state laws that cover um, privacy in the workplace. And uh, so it depends on exactly where you, you know, where you are, what rights you have. But um, certainly my concern is that the current legal framework um, leans too heavily on requiring employers to tell, surveil- to tell workers when surveillance is being used mm. uh, and not enough on actually providing means to say no to that surveillance. So there's, you know, there's certain forms of surveillance that are, you know, that are prohibited in a number of states, so you can't put cameras in bathrooms, uh, you know, for example. And, uh, and generally there's, there's prohibitions on, on um, sort of covert surveillance where you haven't informed workers that you're going to use it. So that's kind of an important restriction in the context of this technology which has the capacity to, to run um, kind of covert surveillance. But, you know, once, once workers are informed, um, you know, then that's, um, that's uh, kind of the hurdle passed in, in, in many cases that, that simply by informing workers then um, the surveillance becomes legitimate where mm. it's not some of those deliberately prohibited areas. And, of course, the fact that you're informed about surveillance uh, doesn't necessarily give you the right or the capacity to say no mm. to that, that surveillance. And I think, as David was also alluding to there, um, you know, I think it's important to put this kind of information-based legal approach in the context of kind of wider industrial changes that makes it harder for people to genuinely negotiate their conditions. So, you know, David mentioned the decline of the union movement, but another really important feature in Australia is that we, Australia, by OECD standards, has, you know, really an exceptionally high rate of insecure work, so casual work and, and the like in particular, um, where, you know, if you if you say no to some new surveillance system, then you can simply don't get any more shifts or you don't get the, the job. So I think on one hand, the law needs to kind of catch up with this technology to give clearer rights to workers to say no to intrusive conditions. But I think there's also a much broader issue here of how you ensure people have the rights to kind of genuinely, genuinely negotiate these types of conditions across a, a range of industries. Yeah, totally. And um, I think this is something that, I, that I'm looking forward to looking into further. Um, it's definitely, I'm sure, sparked um, some curiosity for a lot of listeners who will probably be wondering how these issues affect them. Um, look, Dale and David, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me this morning about this really important issue. My pleasure. No problem.
And that was Dr. Dale Tweedy and David Wilde of Macquarie University, who joined us to talk about the sinister growth of bossware or workplace surveillance technologies, allowing your manager to keep tabs on what you're up to on the computer. Dale and David recently published an article in The Conversation about Bossware, and we will have a link to that in our show notes. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. And now we are joined by the effervescent Miss Cairo, who is a cabaret and burlesque superstar uh, who was conceived in Egypt, born in the UK, and blossomed on Wurundjeri country. And she has explored many creative fields like burlesque, live vocals, comedy, and activism to smash stereotypes while entertaining the masses. And she joins us today to speak about her show for Melbourne Fringe Festival called Breasts Become Her. And we're also giving away two free tickets to 3CR subscribers, so stay tuned to the very end to find out more. Thanks so much for joining me here today, Ms. Cairo. Well, thank you so much. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Not many people ask. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, could you maybe briefly tell us about what you do and how you got into performing? Um, yes. So I am a... Am I echoing? Yeah, it, it, it might just... Um, there might be a little bit of feedback, but we can't hear it. it hopefully it'll just go away. Oh, amazing, perfect. Um, so I am a cabaret and um, burlesque performer. I've been in the industry for about 12 years, and I've been treading the board since the age of five. Um, so uh, ca- uh, I uh, create short-form pieces, pieces of work um, which uh, tell a story within about three to five minutes. Um, and this is the first time I'm doing my solo uh, a solo show where I string some of these acts together um, and talk about um, where I've come from and, and what I've done. That is so unbelievably exciting. Um, how has it been to like prepare for the show? Um, it has been a ride. <laughs> um, I was obviously meant to do it last year for, um, for, for Melbourne Fringe, but COVID had other plans. Um, and I um, am very grateful that I've had a year to kind of like think about what I want to do in the show um, because 
when I, uh, like, like last year, I was like, oh, it's all right. I'll build the show in about a week just before Fringe. We'll see how we go. Um, I've been flat out for the last four months. Um, and I've uh, actually I've only had an hour of sleep today because I've been staying up doing all the um, video editing and uh, looking at sound things and cues. And um, so there's not enough hours in the day. Um, but it's been it's been amazing. It's been really great to um, or at least actually look at my story um, and take up space within that. I think often um, as an advocate and an activist, I'm always either telling other people's stories or or holding space for other people. But this really feels like the first time I'm holding space for um, my narrative and really taking control of what that is. Um, uh, I've been really lucky that I've been really, uh, supported by. Um, Geelong Arts Centre, Geelong Rainbow, uh, Melbourne Fringe, Cash for Creatives, um, and as well as just lots of support from um, so many other people as well. I've got a really great team who are on board. Um, it, it takes a, a village to raise a small child, um, and uh, I've had a really, a really great team of people in, in various aspects helping out. That sounds like a really amazing way to put on a show, even though I'm sure it's time-consuming. And then I'm so sorry you've only got one hour of sleep today, but thank you for being here. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the actual shows called Breasts Become Her, A Tale of Two Titties, which is an amazing title, by the way. Right, thank you. Um, yeah, so it's um, my, my debut solo cabaret show. Um, which explores um, my story, my narrative, and my experience growing a pair of breasts during lockdown. Um, now, I moved to Australia in 2017, where I uh, made the uh, decision to live my authentic self and start my transition. Um, and it's it really been in the last couple of years that, um, that you know, after I started on, on, on hormones, like I noticed some, some really good development there. Uh, and feeling really great and affirmed in my body. Um, I talk about kind of my relationship to womanhood and really interrogating the question, when do I become a woman? And also, what is a woman? Um, I think in this day and age, a lot of us struggle to kind of um, define what that is. Um, So I really kind of pick apart what that could be. Um, Now, I use um, the, the... title is uh, Breast Becomes Her, which is inspired by the 1992 critically award-winning uh, film Death Becomes Her, starring Mel Streep and Goldie Horn. Um, uh, but you don't have to have seen the film to, you know, in, to enjoy the show. Um, I had some other ideas in mind. Uh, it could have been called Breast Side Story or Titanic. Um, you know, it could have been anything. Um, but I really in, um, enjoyed using uh, Just Become Sir as a springboard to kind of like really pick apart old Hollywood, uh, old school Hollywood glamour um, and, uh, you know, really using that kind of comedy vehicle to get my points across. I feel like all of those titles would have been amazing. <laughs> my co-host <laughs> and I were just laughing because they're incredible. They're so wonderful. I guess also with... Um, Putting on a show that also is so much of your own story, do you find that that is, I guess, how do you find that? Or do you have to, like, 
put certain boundaries in place because I, I could imagine, I could be totally wrong too, that it, it can be emotionally taxing too. Oh, 100%. Like, the show does del- delve into kind of, you know, some some deep places. Like, I wanted to make sure that my first show wasn't, um, you know, based in trauma and it wasn't just a, a big trauma porn show. Yep. I think so much for trans people, that's what we're expected to do. Um and I really wanted to make sure that, like, my first foray into the Melbourne Melbourne scene um, really kind of just put, you know, put you on the map as someone who is funny, who um, can tell fun stories. Um, but there is a lot of pathos in it. Um, and, it's, you know, the, the journey of making the show has been in, interesting because I've been thinking about, oh, gosh, yawning. I've Yawns are welcome. <laughs> I'm not used to it. It's early start. Um, yeah, like I've been exploring all these different stories. So, you know, I've un- unearthed a few things in myself, which, you know, won't necessarily be in the show. Um, but they are, um, it's, been, it's been quite a healing process, which has been lovely. Yeah, I feel like being able to know <laughs> that, you can put a lot of yourself into it, but also it's full, filled with lots of humour. And I think that's yeah. a difficult line to toe. Um, but it sounds like it's a show that's really authentic to you and what you want to show for your first show. So I think that's really wonderful. Um, I guess also I'm curious, what you spoke about this a little bit. What goes really into putting on a show like this? Like, what do you wish people knew? Because, it, uh, like, do you think that it's people... Um, like rewriting the show over and over again uh, or, or trying out different things? Like, I guess, what is the process like? Oh, God, there's many different ways to skin a cow, as Beyonce and Lady Gaga <laughs> yeah. once said. I don't know what that means. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I did a, a fantastic writing course um, uh, written uh, by Bryony Kimmings, um, which is about autobiographical theatre work. Um, and that really helped me shape the way that I approach this kind of work. Um, and it's just about kind of different exercises. Um, if you want the honest truth, mm-hmm. money. Money is what <laughs> you need. And it's the, it's horrible. It's, um, uh, like I've, I've always, always said that I, um, I have wanted to put on a solo show, but I've never had the funds to do it because I've refused to like, let anyone work for for me for free um you know that's something that i fight for quite a lot in the industry um and i have to make sure i have my have the integrity there but i know lots of people can put on shows um you know for free or or for um, next to nothing but it's you know i'm trying to have a career as a performer and i need to make sure that i'm kind of like looking after myself and the team around me um, so, you know, a lot of the prep's been, like, applying for grants, um, you know, and, and having kind of a level of access as, as well myself. Um, like, I want to sit I want to sit there and say, oh, it's that hard work and just sitting there and slog it. But the reality of it is um, uh, finding, the right, finding the right people to, to help um, uh, in terms of actually, like, constructing the show. Um, I'm quite lucky that I've had like a good 10 year career where I've had, um, like li- li- lots of little short form pieces that I could kind of 
look at and then weave my story together. And that process has changed over the last year. Um, and, yeah, I think don't be scared to kill, kill your darlings. That's, I think, been one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given. Um, I, I'm, someone with ADHD, it's hard for me to, like, let go of, of something sometimes. Um, but with this process, I'm just like, no, get rid of it. It's, it's too too much, too long. Uh, I don't have enough time to do this. Like, let's just do what we we need to do. And it's been really fun just to kind of really get to the bare bones of things much quicker. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think your answer about money is uh, honest and important because especially with the arts where there's so much labor exploitation. And, yeah, sure, maybe it's the bare minimum, but sometimes the bare minimum can be hard and I don't know, in a culture that doesn't really sometimes respect that. So I think it's really wonderful that you took the time and you're like, no, I'm looking after my team and I'm looking after myself. Um, and also, how can we come see this beautiful masterpiece? Well, you can come see this beautiful masterpiece by booking your ticket and via the Melbourne Fringe uh, page. You can also, um, you know, get to the ticket website by going on to breastbecomesher.org. Um, and then popping in your email address, and then it will take you through, uh, direct you through to the um, ticketing page. Um, I have shows. I open on. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Um, open on um, Saturday um, till Thursday at Melbourne Fringe Trades Hall, and then uh, next Friday and Saturday I will be at Geelong at Short Place Social. Um, and uh, you can just book the tickets all through the same the same link. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, lastly, we have a very special offer giveaway uh, for two free tickets to Saturday's debut show for 3CR subscribers. So, And you can also subscribe when you call, which is so unbelievably generous. So if you want to grab them, the first people to call 3CR on 9419 8377, that's 94198377, can give them. So thank you so much for joining us here today, Miss Cairo, and please go see, go see the show at Trains Hall from the 15th to the 22nd of October. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me and have a gorgeous rest of the, uh, rest of the day. You too. Get some big sleep. Oh, I will. <laughs> thank you. And you're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And that was Miss Cairo talking about her Breast Become Her Fringe Fest show. Don't be a boob. Get tickets. 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. In the lead-up to the state election, join the Homes Not Prisons campaign for street theatre, speeches from people with a lived experience of criminalisation and a rally demanding investment in Aboriginal community-controlled public housing for criminalised women and their families. 4pm on Friday 14th of October at Parliament Steps in Nam, Melbourne. Keep the pressure on. Fund communities, not prisons and police. Friday 14 October, 4pm, Parliament Steps. Homes, not prisons, is a 3CR supporter.
Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Trivia's back, baby. Done by Law's legendary Trivia Night returns Friday the 21st of October at Collingwood Town Hall. Expect an evening of sparkling wit, cunning competition, and of course, the glorious glory of sweet, sweet victory. Will it be yours? You'll have to come along to find out. Is this your first year? Welcome. You might just be the best among us, but you'll have to strut your stuff to prove it. Let's get together to raise much-needed funds for the incredible 3CR Community Radio. 3CR is 100% community-controlled and relies on annual fundraising to keep its amazing local content on air. Book individually or register a team of up to 10 people for Done By Law's Trivia Night. Tickets available online. Follow the links from the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Subscribe to 3CR. Where else can you hear radical news, analysis, music and opinions? Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Thank you, 3CR. We love you. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to threecr.org.au and get in touch. Now we are joined by Narito White, who is a proud Yoda Yoda woman with connections to the Naranjeri and Tuungarung people and the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And she joins us today to speak on the joint letter from VALS, the Police Accountability Project, community and Aboriginal organisations that are calling on Dan Andrews to overhaul the state's failed police oversight system by introducing a police ombudsman. Thanks so much for joining us here today on 3CR. Oh, that's right. Um, so I think we want to start off with, you know, I think we know when a complaint is made against the police, they are often investigating themselves and are routinely getting away with misconduct. And the independent broad-based anti-corruption commission reported that more than half the time they ignore vital evidence when complaints come from Aboriginal people. 
So could you speak to first what lodging a complaint against the police actually looks like and what are the some of the barriers involved? Sure. So if someone wants to make a complaint against Victoria Police, currently you can fill in a form on the website, send an email or letter to the police conduct unit or talk to someone at your local station. IBAC has a similar process if you want to refer your complaint to them. Most complaints aren't protected against reprisals or harassment and there's no support for the welfare of a complainant. Um, you know, and complainants also can't access evidence like body wall camera footage. Yeah, so I, I know that the report also shows that there are lots of conflicts of interest. I think in 84% of files, um, half of these conflicts were not managed properly, and 73% of Aboriginal people who made complaints were not updated on the investigation. Um, I think we can guess why this is happening, but this doesn't seem to feel like a few bad apples like people like to say about the police. This seems like an ongoing, gross systemic failure, so... Could you tell us why this is happening in this way? I think your assessment's accurate. Um, and Victoria Police have a very insular culture where they protect each other at almost all costs. Mm-hmm. And they have a huge influence over the Victorian politics, which will happen to avoid proper scrutiny, oversight and accountability. You know, Victoria Police were able to ensure the lawyer ex-Royal Commission had an extensive, extremely, and I mean extremely narrow scope. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then they've been criticised for not fully complying with the Commission. Aboriginal Star Isle, the people have been subjected to a lot of police misconduct because of this culture and lack of oversight. Most of our people don't make complaints when they've been mistreated because of the risk of managing managing a complaint and the probability that the complaint won't be handled properly. Um, and this, in, not inability, but this unwillingness mm-hmm. to come forward and make complaints about police also extends to making complaints to police about you know, behaviours or crimes being perpetrated against them. You know, if you look at family violence, if you look at minor assault, um, Aboriginal people are less likely to come forward as victims because the same gross systemic failures that you see in complaints handling, you see when they come forward to make complaints as victims of crime. Um, you know, the figures from the IBAC report into these complaints made by Aboriginal people need to be seen in the context that they sit within, as there are many more complaints that are never made because that system is just so bad. Yeah, I know also in the investigation, um, sorry, in the letter, um, Greg, Gregor Hosmo from the Police Accountability Solicitor said that investigations into complete police complaints require different powers and different skills to that of a of the corruption watchdog. So could you explain to us what the difference is between, yeah, investigating police misconduct and why the powers are different and why you're calling for a police ombudsman? Of course. So we'd like to see a new independent oversight body based on the police ombudsman for Northern Ireland that has far more police powers than the current oversight system. There are a range of jurisdictional powers it should have that IVAC doesn't have. Things like cease and desist powers, which could limit police's ability to frustrate investigations. We'd like to probably have their own motion powers that can investigate potential misconduct without a complaint where it thought it was necessary. We'd also like the body to have a super complaint system um, process. This would allow an organisation to bring a complaint about general or systemic issues that are harming the community. You know, there are also a range of investigative powers we'd like the new body to have. 
um, because IBAC's power to search in relation to police complaints, for example, is very limited and a new body needs much more stronger powers to collect evidence. So I think also with the police ombudsman, do you anticipate any challenges to getting it, um, like requesting it or getting it through or getting support for it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's the same issue um, arises that I raised in the Go Youth question, which is that, um, you know, Victoria's police is into a culture um, which has a huge influence over Victorian politics that has allowed them to avoid proper scrutiny, oversight and accountability. And, you know, it's not just a lawyer scandal. You see indeed uh, they have a space of scandals uh, earlier this year. Um, then there was the um, investment for 2,000-odd police officers, which had no business case, um, no benefits to community safety, um, but was somehow granted just because it's Victoria's police. So that concerns me. Um, what I'm hopeful about, though, is that as we look to implement um, you know, international instruments like OPCACs um, in both our federal and, of course, our state system, that we are building a culture of independent oversight, building a culture of transparency. Um, so I'm, I'm hesitant to give up hope just yet um, and believe that, you know, better angels prevail. Absolutely. And knowing that, you know, there is a lot of support around it and people want to find alternatives to policing. And we know that the, I don't know, the castle system is incredibly punitive and disproportionate to Indigenous people. And I think we need to find, yeah, independent um, investigatory bodies. So I think it's a wonderful letter. Um, I think lastly, how can we share the, the letter and support the work? And is there anything else that you wish people knew about the police and the systems? Yeah. Um, look, certainly um, I would love people um, to share the letter, um, to you know, write to their local members expressing their support um, for a police ombudsman um, and using their electoral vote um, in a way that mirrors their values. Um, in terms of um, things that I want them to know about... Um, independent police oversight, I think I would hope um, that they take away um, what I've talked about today. Um, I would hope um, that in reading the letter they go over um, to uh, the Police Accountability Project's um, site and look at the information that it's really easy to understand and easy to distill. Um, but they check out um, Val's extensive work on police oversight um, which accumulated recently um, in a police webinar, which is nice and easy to listen to, just like a podcast, chuck it on. Um, you can go about it while, you know, you're doing your chores or um, surfing the net or yep. <laughs> people do who have free time and don't have two kids um, and share their messages and, and really ensure also that um, if you see police misconduct, um, that you try and do your best to support the reporting of that um, and get people to access legal advice um, so they have the best chance of having their voice be heard. Amazing. Thank you so much. If somebody wanted to call VARS, what um, number can they call? Uh, if they want to call VALS, um, they can call us on 03941 Yep. Um, and we also... Um, except reach out via our social channels, so Instagram, Facebook, um, and all of those. Um, and we also have a contact form um, on our website. 
Okay, great. Thank you so much for taking the time out today, Narita, and I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. I hope you have a great day as well. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. You've just heard from Narita White, who is a proud Yoda Yoda woman with connections to the Naranjari and Turungurung people and the CEO of Vals. And she joins us today to speak on, who spoke on the joint letter from the Police Accountability Project and other organisations calling for a police ombudsman. Hi, my name is Bundalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 10th of November at Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Manwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Manmaru, 6 to 8pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is 8.14 in the morning, and right now we are joined by Dr. Michelle Blewett, who is the Program Director of OSMAP, the Australian Microplastic Assessment Project. And she joins us today to talk about mapping levels of microplastic pollution in Australia's aquatic environments with the help of citizen scientists and the importance of this work as part of finding solutions to address the growing problem of plastic pollution in our waterways. Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, So I thought we could start off by talking a little bit about microplastics. What are they? Where do they come from? And why are they so concerning? Good question. Okay. So when when plastic is left in the environment for long periods of time, uh, there's two different types. There's what we call primary microplastic, which is the small resin pellets, which are the pre-production pellets when plastic is first made. It gets made into these small round pellets, similar to fish eggs. Uh, there's also microbeads in products, which is the base of, of plastic. But then when other products, larger products, are left in the environment, such as plastic bottles and coffee cups and things like that, then they break up, not down, into smaller and smaller pieces of what we refer to as microplastic. And so they're generally products that are less than five mils in size. Uh, and then they become smaller and smaller and smaller until they become airborne. Uh, and then we're, in fact, ingesting them as well. And so that's where the issues of microplastics really come into play. 
Yeah, and I think um, that distinction you made between breaking up rather than breaking down is really important because, you know, once these things uh, sort of disintegrate, they're not going away. They're just um, affecting the environment in, in a sort of different way because they are able to disperse. So what does the scale of microplastic pollution currently look like across Australia's aquatic environments? And where are some of the areas where researchers and citizen scientists have identified the greatest density of microplastics? Mm-hmm. Good questions. Yeah, and you're right. Going back to that, they do just break up. They never, they never go away. They never, every single piece of plastic that's ever been created in this universe, unfortunately, is still here in one form or another. They just break up into smaller pieces. And so by the using, um, science, citizen science in particular, and it's, it's be important to sort of uh, let your viewers understand the difference between the two. Citizen science is undertaking professional science by non-professional scientists. Mm. So by the general public. Um, and so that's where our program, OSMAP, comes into play. And so what we are doing is actually using our program to identify where those microplastic hotspots are. And then we work with local governments and local councils to be able to figure out where that might be coming from. Uh, and so, so far, particularly I am based out of South Australia, and so we've got a couple of tremendous hotspots over here. Uh, and a lot of what we're finding in our waterways comes from us from land. There's only a very small percentage that comes in through the ocean sources unless you are in areas such as the top end where it's coming across large waterways coming from Asia. Mm. Uh, but in domestic urban areas, it generally is coming from us from land. And so these hotspots tend to occur in estuaries or around lakes or coming down our river systems and landing on our beaches that way. Yeah, and um, what kind of environmental impacts are they uh, causing in these ecosystems? Mm. Well, they're, they're several fold, unfortunately. Because of the high densities of some of these hotspots, you know, the, the accumulation is up into their thousands and hundreds of thousands. And so not only are plastics made of plasticides, uh, there's other chemicals that are additive to the, to, the chemi- uh, to the plastics when they're first made. Once out in, in the environment as well, they act like magnets and they attract any other contaminants or toxins that are in the water as well or in, in the waterway as well, and that attracts to the plastics. And so when the plastics are in the system, some of them, for example, might look like fish eggs. And so we get that trophic transfer, that transfer through up through the ecosystem from the smallest critters on Earth, zooplankton. We've got photos of, of them consuming plastic. And then when you think about the trophic, so the animals eating the animals, right up into the highest predators, such as us at the, at the top of the food chain, we're then ingesting them that way as well. And unfortunately now they're airborne, so we're ingesting them when we're breathing. And uh, most recently, you know, it's even being found in breast milk. So it's going through the mums uh, and then unfortunately out through the breast milk into our newborn babies as well. Yeah, that is really concerning um, to, to think about just the variety of different ways that we can be exposed to microplastics. So clearly we're, we're immersed in, in an environment that's full of them all the time. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the OSMAP project itself and the method of analysis and also about the importance of engaging citizen scientists in fighting back against this environmental threat. Yes, of course. So OSMAP, the Australian Microplastic Assessment Project, is a project of the Total Environment Centre, one of the longest standing environmental centres based in Sydney. It's a citizen science program, so it basically engages, empowers and educates local communities of all ages 
to be able to use our scientific methodology, which is a rigorous scientific method, methodology designed by myself and Dr. Scott Wilson, who is now the chief scientist uh, of Earthwatch down in Victoria. And it's a program, um, a methodology that we use on the tidal line uh, where we are able to look at what has been brought in by that last tide. Uh, so rather than accumulating over time, we look at, uh, over time, we look at what's been brought in. And we use this methodology to be able to, on any waterway, it doesn't matter whether it's a lake or a river or an estuary or a beach, we can use this method to be able to quantify microplastics in any location. So we've got about 400 locations that we've uh, sampled from across the country, um, going from Thursday Island up north out to Norfolk Island, down to Tassie, all the way across the coast to the west coast and up as far as Port Hedland. And we are then able to identify where there's high spots and low spots of microplastics and then use that data to then potentially look up catchment as to where the sources are and how do we go about stopping it. And that can be a number of ways, but the most important is education and engagement. Yeah, and I think it is really excellent that this is something that, you know, everybody can get involved with um, via the OzMap project once, you know, you know if, if people head to the site, we'll have that information in our show notes uh, to sort of look at how people can, um, you know, participate in this and, and support this work. Um, but I'm also wondering how federal and state governments have supported or not tackling microplastic pollution and what kind of role governments should be playing in this area as part of broader approaches to the climate crisis. Yes, well, that is a difficult uh, question to answer, unfortunately. Look, there's a number of um, issues and the, the government are doing, we're actually moving forward definitely in the fight against plastics. Uh, we're now part of the International Treaty in Plastic uh, and there's certainly it's starting at the, the local government right up to the state and federal government. On a local government scale, uh, it depends on the coastal area, it depends on the local government, um, but unfortunately, you know, a lot of the debris that flows onto our waterways and through our systems doesn't come from individual catchments. It, mm. It's right across the catchment, and so it needs to be at least on a state-level um, uh, process to be able to tackle local microplastic or local plastic issues. On the sort of federal level, we now have the plastic, uh, the National Plastic Plan in place and the government, state governments are working towards definitely um, uh, banning single-use plastic items. Uh, and uh, so we're going about it in a process to be able to eliminate those as number one. But it's what is out there already that is concerning. And unfortunately, if we continue down the trajectory that we're, we're on right now with the plastic use, um, that it can potentially double in the next uh, 20 years in terms of what is actually out there. But if we all make a conscious effort now to be able to minimise our own plastic footprint in our own lives, then we can actually make that trajectory go down. It'll never, ever disappear. As we said earlier, all that's out there is will remain in our system forever. But we need to devise better ways to be able to remove it from our waterways. Uh, and look at those contaminants and those issues that are that are current now in our local waterways to be able to to ease the pressure on us and the climate change issue long into the future. Absolutely, and um, I think you know it, it, during the time where we work towards potentially finding a solution to actually break these uh, microplastics down, um, mm -hmm. the the onus is is on all of us to. Um, 
you know, to stop using single-use plastics and, and for governments and regulatory bodies to make sure that that messaging is really getting across and that there are, you know, serious consequences as well for companies yeah. that are involved in producing, um, you know, large amounts of these plastic pollutants. So, uh, Michelle, finally, where can listeners find out more about OzMap and get involved in mapping plastic pollution around Australia? Absolutely. We are open to all citizens being involved. Uh, so if you head to our website, um, it's easy to remember, www.ausmap.org or any of our socials. Uh, we are regularly running, we run official training days for citizens to be involved so that we know that that data that's being collected is rigorous and we can use that data in, in our program and in, in long-term policy change. Uh, we map all of our work so you can have a look at our hotspot map on our website uh, and then that way even school kids, our programs directly match to the Australian curriculum as well. So any teachers out there or students wishing to be involved, we'd love to have you on board as well. But uh, yeah, spread the word, spread the love and uh, we look forward to hearing from you all at some point soon. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate this work and um, just really excellent that it is, um, you know, it has been developed in a way that is so participatory that everybody can get involved. So thank you for joining us today. Hope you have a lovely day. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Dr. Michelle Blewett, who is the Program Director of OzMap, the Australian Microplastic Assessment Project. And she joined us today to talk about mapping levels of microplastic pollution in Australia's aquatic environments with the help of citizen scientists and the importance of this work as part of finding solutions to address the growing problem of plastic pollution in our waterways. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR support. We're back on Thursday morning breakfast. Uh, it is 8.27 in the morning. We've only got a tiny little bit left of the show to go, uh, but we might give you a quick rundown of what we covered today. So first up, Dr. Dale Tweedy and David Wilde of Macquarie University joined us to talk about the sinister growth of bossware or workplace surveillance technologies, which allow your manager to keep tabs on what you're up to on the computer. And then we were joined by Miss Cairo, who's a cabaret superstar, um, and she joined us today to speak on the cabaret show for Fringe Fest called Breast Becomes Her. And we are giving away th- two free tickets to 3 sale subscribers, so please call 94198377. Yes, and that will be for the show's premiere on Saturday, the 15th of October at 10.30 p.m. So once again, call 9419, 941 line. Oh, my goodness. 94198377. Oh, 
And then we were joined by Narita Wright, who is a CEO of Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, about the joint letter to, which is calling on Dan Andrews to overhaul the police oversight system by introducing a police ombudsman. Excellent. And finally, we were joined by Dr. Michelle Blewett, who is the program director of OSMAP, or the Australian Microplastic Assessment Project, to talk about the project's important work with citizen scientists in mapping plastic pollution in Australia's aquatic environments. Um, A lot of incredible uh, and important discussions today. And, um, yeah, I think... Uh, it was pretty exciting as well to be able to talk to, to Michelle about this and end on that note because I think uh, it is a cool way to figure out how we can all get involved in ending plastic pollution. Um, one more reminder is that Homes Not Prisons is having a rally tomorrow. Um, now, of course, classic me, I brought this up without having the information in front of me, but it is uh, an urgent rally in the lead up to the Victorian state election calling for building homes, not prisons, calling on the Andrews government and also representatives that are running um, to fund communities, not prisons and police. It'll be on Victorian Parliament steps in NARM um, and uh, it will be tomorrow, Friday, the 14th of October at 4 p.m. So encourage everybody to get along to that. Uh, We need public housing, livable communities, a healthy planet and community supports to live safe and together is what Homes Not Prisons have said about this rally. Um, I guess uh, if we don't catch you at tomorrow's rally, and hopefully we do, we will catch you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.